This podcast is for mature audiences 18 and over and for entertainment purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider before pursuing any of our topics discussed. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with Dr. Cat, the place to get play, sex, and nutrition talk straight to your ears. Hey, lovers, and welcome back to Eat, Play, Sex. I'm your sex expert, Dr. Cat. So I have been receiving messages from some of my followers on Instagram asking me about how they can develop a healthy relationship around sex after they've experienced trauma. So to save my poor little fingers from typing a million messages to all of you in private, I decided to create a podcast episode, a solo episode all about this. Like, how can we reclaim ourselves, our bodies, our sexuality when there has been a violation? Now, when we talk about trauma, the word is probably more complex than than what we have initially been taught of what that means. You know, a lot of times we can think of trauma as something that, you know, rape or molestation or going to war and getting PTSD. But trauma is really just talking about the impact. So trauma is the physiological and the psychological response to an event that we have. And we can define define, uh, trauma as uh, big T traumas and little t traumas. Little t traumas is more around those experiences where somebody said something to us or we perceived an event in a certain way that caused our body to contract and our mind to, um, in a sense, metaphorically kind of short circuit. It doesn't really short circuit, but it's as if the the data or it is the data gets input into our brain in pieces instead of coherently and all together. And as a result of these experiences that we go through, we the brain ends up developing these beliefs about ourselves or about sex and the other person involved or the other people involved that then influences how we move forward. So often the brain wants to identify the cause and place that blame on ourselves because the brain is like, okay, well, I have more control over you as a system than I do anything in the external environment. So it's easier for me to blame myself that there's something wrong with me than it is to say it was solely because of this outside thing, which isn't true because we everything is in interaction is the involvement of us in another person or another thing or event or uh, or object. It's not all me and it's not all you or it or them. So the brain will create these beliefs in one of four categories. Identifying something around safety, I'm not safe, I can't be trusted, I cannot trust others, it's not okay to feel emotion, or self-defensiveness, I am something wrong, I'm not good enough, something is wrong with me, I'm broken, I'm not lovable, I'm ugly, I'm a disappointment. The third one is responsibility, I did something wrong, guilty, I should have done something, 
And the last one is control. I am powerless. I am out of control. I can't stand it. So now imagine if the brain has decided that this is a belief about ourselves. And then in order to prevent this trauma from reoccurring, it will now see the world through the lens of this belief, influencing all these other experiences that we have moving forward. So if I have this belief, this internalized belief that I cannot trust other people, you bet I will then start looking at all these other experiences through the lens of I can't trust these people. So I'm going to end up creating a confirmation bias, looking for evidence that would support that belief and throw out any evidence that might refute it. If I believe I'm not enough, I'm going to be more sensitive to these other interactions with other people that might, quote unquote, confirm that I'm not enough. And then we wonder why we keep having the same outcomes of things again and again and again. Or why do we keep attracting the similar people again and again and again? So in order to get out of these loops, in order to re-narrate and heal from these past traumas, we need to f- create safety, security. We have to have work on positive self-image, nurturance of ourselves. We have to feel empowered. We have to allow ourselves to feel pleasure. And that can feel like a tall order, especially when we've experienced trauma that is still impacting us today and impacting our sex lives, how we're able to connect with our lovers or even with our own body and our, or our own pleasure and our own orgasm. This is a journey not a race. So ultimately, as we move through this podcast, I want to invite you to be with yourself and be with your body in its own pace of process. Everybody's journey is going to look different. Everybody's pace through this journey is going to look different. I'm going to give you tips on how, on where you can start today and resources on how you can deepen the healing process for yourself with a professional, whatever you choose to look like for that to look like. The very first thing that I would suggest that we look at is to consider changing the relationship that we have with our body. Given what we experience, we may have a negative belief about our body or a mistrust of our body because our body continues to react in a way that we don't consciously have control over. And we'd rather our body respond in a, in a way that is more in alignment with what we want or desire. And we're like, body, I just want you to be open to sex. I just want you to orgasm. I just want you to la 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 And this isn't The body's been trying to talk to us. The body is so incredibly intelligent and it's just responding in a way to protect us. Unfortunately, because of trauma, so often we we create this disconnect between the mind and the body. And so we wonder why the body's responding in a way that's differently than how we are thinking or wanting or desiring it to act. And it's simply because this has been severed. And so we've got to start participating with the body. 
bringing it, inviting it in instead of fighting it, instead of resisting it, instead of trying to disconnect and quiet it. But the problem here is to get in the body, we have to change the relationship that we have towards it. Like, I don't want to be in my body if I feel disgusted by it, if I feel, you know, mistrusting of it and that sort of thing. If it's highly anxious, I don't want to be in there. <laughs> and yet, this is where the work begins. Not just in the stories of your head. That'll only get you so far. So can we start out by reducing some of the stress that's in our environment? Because that stress is not helping our nervous system. It's actually keeping it activated to where it makes it a lot more difficult to access the internal voice and the resources that exist within us. Can we practice being affectionate towards our body? Perhaps we have trouble with pleasuring our body right now. And that's okay. But can we put lotion on our body after a shower? Or can we pet our arm? Can we allow ourselves to be kind to our body, even if we have trouble with loving it. I'm not asking us to love our body yet. That might be further than what we're ready for, but can we be kind to it? And even when we catch ourselves being unkind to ourselves and our body, can we be kind to ourselves that we're being unkind to our body? Can we show some compassion? And can we remember that and that's honestly a collective experience. Like we all struggle or have moments of struggle where we're being less than kind. And can we get to practicing letting go of the false idea of how sex is quote unquote supposed to be or work to create space for how sex actually works for us? So getting into the body learning how to calm and soothe ourselves or ask for soothing in a ways that is meaningful for us from a partner or from a loved one is going to be crucial. You know, how can we learn how to self-regulate? Meaning when our nervous system gets activated into this fight or flight or freeze response, can do, are there tools that I can use that help me to bring me back to that zero point? Now, Let's acknowledge that if we've experienced trauma, for some of us, calmness is activating. It's triggering. <laughs> when we go into calm, calm mode out of this hypervigilant state of being aware of everything that's going on around us all the time, it can feel unsafe. And so then we start getting nervous around feeling calm. So if that's the case, First of all, I would highly recommend working with a professional therapist or somatic therapist or um, trauma therapist, trauma-informed therapist um, before you proceed with any of this, because this is going to be, this is absolutely crucial to be able to rebuild that mind and body connection, to be able to regulate it again so that we can feel in, be in our body. And that may be a question that we ask ourselves even, you know, what does my body need to feel safe here? And here, the power of noticing is going to be one of your best tools 
for the foundation of anything that you do. Once you start working with a therapist or once you start um, on this journey of however you want this to unfold for yourself, whatever sort of medicine you choose for yourself, but learning how to notice how your body is responding. Because here's the intelligence of the body. Again, it's constantly speaking to you. It's telling you what, you, what it needs in order to feel calm and safe. But if we're not tuning into it, we're not asking it, we're not being present to it, then we're missing all of that wisdom. We can also notice the stories that we're telling ourselves about ourselves. You know, again, coming back to that negative belief that's been created. Noticing can also help us to become aware with how much we're obsessing about the story or about our body. Noticing even the safety behaviors that we engage in to protect ourselves or to avoid the situation entirely that is actually perpetuating this state of unrest. Noticing. That's it. It feels so simple. And yet, how many of us actually practice that? Key foundational tool right there. Second one is learning how to challenge the trauma-based thinking. So like we talked about, identifying the beliefs about sex and self that are unhelpful. To identify a more preferable and self-belief that we would like to begin to reprocessing with. You know, maybe that's an opposite of the negative belief, or maybe it's even something that's like 90 degrees different. You know, something 180 might be, I'm, bro I'm broken. And the other one is, I'm a fully functioning man and woman. More of a 90 degree shift might be, I'm broken to, sometimes my body responds differently than my head wants it to. See what works best for you. Some people love the 180 degrees flip-flop. Some people like more of the just a little bit of a shift so that it's still something that's believable for them. And it's not so far-fetched as flipping the 180, but what works for you. Next, we want to identify and access these inner strengths and outer resources that we possess. You know, what superpowers did you gain from this experience, from this traumatic experience? Many of us have developed this sense of this sensitivity or depth and empathy or this ability to be really present or this ability to see how fucking resilient we are for having gone through and survived and thrived after what it is that we experienced. I think it's also important, you know, just as much as it is to identify your internal sources, your internal strengths, but also important to identify the strengths that exist within your community. You know, who is in your community of support? Who's been there? And maybe they don't always express or meet us in the way that is meaningful for us. But can we still feel their support? Can we still feel that they're there? Because it's that aloneness, that feeling of I'm going through this all by myself can be petrifying and can be a major block in us being able to move forward. You know, if we don't feel understood by somebody, why would we want to open up to them? 
which even brings me into this next one of being able to process our emotions and our memories with a professional guide, whether that's a coach or a therapist who specializes in trauma, or maybe you just want to write or share your stories with other people. This is part of the reprocessing. This is part of the healing journey. Why does the brain keep bringing this up? Why do I keep having dreams about it? Why do I keep having these flashbacks about it? Because the brain is trying to process. The brain is trying to make sense of things. It's trying to naturally, the brain processes things pretty easily. Like right now I'm sitting in front of my laptop recording this episode and everything about my environment is easily flowing through my brain, no problem. I might have some memories about this amazing time of me sitting here making this podcast. Great. Goes into my memory bank. But when we experience trauma, it doesn't work so easily like that. And it keeps coming up so that we can work through it. Now, if it just stays in the brain, (laughs) makes it way more difficult to move through it. But by talking about it, by kinesthetically processing, by writing it out, all of these help it to move out of us and we can make better sense out of it. Again, when we are externalizing, we look at it or somebody gives us a different perspective or reframe or um, helps us to identify a different relationship with it. That helps us to gain that power back over it instead of it having the power over us. So think about how can I make meaning out of what happened to me? You know, what did I, what did I gain from this? Or how can I transmute the pain that I experienced and turn them into the greatest lessons of life and of love for myself and maybe even for others? Talking about it even helps us to be able to communicate to other people how they can be there for us or even what state that we're in. Because sometimes when we're activated and we're in that fight or flight or freeze response, other people may or may not be able to read the cues of what's going on for us. But when we can communicate, then it invites them into our process and they can more easily tend to what it is that we need. So one tool that I love to use here is communicating through the, what, I, what we call the window of tolerance, which is communicating in a way that helps us to really de-shame the response of the body um, and clearly communicate where we're at. <laughs> you know, we have this, this window of tolerance of which we're operating pretty nicely. <laughs> but if we are past the, th- the threshold of what we can tolerate, that's when we're in more of the survival part of our brain and we may be flying off the handle, maybe we're crying uncontrollably, maybe we're in a panic attack, maybe we are um, shutting down, maybe we get really quiet. You know, there's many different strategies that we default to when we surpass that threshold of what we can tolerate. And this is important to, again, by using noticing, to be able to communicate to another person where we're at. That way they aren't projecting onto us this idea of, oh, they are operating just fine. So I can pile all this extra work on them, or I can, you know, ask them to do this favor of me for me or whatever it is. 
not knowing that really we're past the point of what we can tolerate, of what we can handle. So we can use terms like, I'm feeling dysregulated right now, or I'm feeling flooded right now, or I'm out of my window of tolerance, or I've surpassed my window of tolerance, or one that I use is I've, I am beyond the threshold of what I can tolerate right now. And of course, with some of those more technical terms, I've explained to my partners that this is, that's what this means. And then it also allows for communication around, okay, when I say that, these are things that help to soothe me. And we'll get into that in a moment. But when we identify these, this relationship with our emotions and our body, as this experience is so alive for us in the moment... We must be able to self-validate first. So instead of judging the feeling or judging the body's reaction, we acknowledge, okay, this is simply where I'm at. And it makes sense that this is what I'm feeling or what I'm experiencing, given what has happened to me in the past. Allow yourself to feel the feeling. Name the feeling. Be with it. Tune into the texture of it. Where is it at in your body? Where is it showing up? Instead of thinking the feeling. And <laughs> instead of going into the story, or instead of going into the head, just feel and be present with it. For some of us, we may have a reaction of panicking. And if you have that, if you pass that threshold of what you can tolerate and your reaction is to panic, we want to think of strategies for grounding. So whether that's exploring the texture of your clothes, like putting the clothes between your fingertips and just kind of like feeling that, or I carry around with me essential oils, like peppermint or lavender, eucalyptus. Oh God, I love Palo Santo or sage or any of those soothing scents can be really helpful. Just take a deep breath in and breathing that scent in. And you can even follow the sensation of that down the back of you, like in your nasal passages down your the back of your throat. You can also breathe in a hot cup of non-caffeinated tea. And I especially emphasize the non-caffeinated tea because we, we're not trying to caffeinate you more if you're in panic. Oh, we're trying to calm you down, um, just get you regulated again. Um, wrap yourself in a warm blanket, or I love placing a weighted blanket on my lap or, on, or have my clients place it on their laps because it creates a sensation of groundedness and heaviness back into their body which can be really powerful, especially if you experience disassociation, which means that you're disconnecting from the body, you're getting out of the body, um, disconnecting from the experience. Maybe the room goes fuzzy or it feels like you're in an altered state of reality. And so grounding techniques are going to be critical for you. How can I get back into the body? Um, also moving your body in a way that feels good for you, walking, shaking, dancing, stretching. And I love six to 10, at least six to 10 rounds of deep belly breathing in and out of the nose. So that's going to help you to come back into the parasympathetic system, which is that more of that rest and digest system. Um, you can even place your hands onto your belly and feel your belly expand and contract with the breath because that really helps it to drop in deeper. When we're in a fight or flight response, the breath is very shallow, more into your chest and a lot more quicker. So we want to bring it down. I suggest starting with an exhale first and then 
continuing with an inhale and keeping that slow, six to 10 rounds. For those of you who might freeze as a response, fight, flight, and freeze. Drink something cold or chew on ice. You know, that sensation, that cold sensation can be helpful to ground back into, um, into your senses, into your body. Turn your head and, you know, gently look around the room. Identify things in the room. This is especially good for if you're disassociating or checking out of the body. You know, can you connect with the things that are in the room? Running cold water, again, that sensation. Putting cold water onto your wrists and your hands. Shaking your body or going for a brisk walk or TRE, which is trauma release exercise, which is bringing the body into a tremor. Look that up. It's such a powerful experience of um, allowing the body to move into its natural response, which is to shiver or tremble and helping to flush out those excess stress hormones. Humming or singing or making sounds with your mouth, feeling the vibration in your throat and your body. If you've experienced trauma, sometimes we might close our mouth. You know, like we might have trouble with, with speaking up. Um, so exercises in vocal activation or making sounds or uh, making sounds, weird sounds in public is an edge, definitely an edge because our throat just, we might feel our throat clench or close up because we don't want to make sound. We don't want to bring attention to ourselves or it's not safe or we believe it's not safe. And to speak up for ourselves. So that can be a powerful tool for us. And then even coming up with a mantra or a self-affirmation, especially when you have the negative talks that are going through your head about not feeling safe or something's wrong with me or I'm broken. Um, these can be really helpful for us to come back to center. So these are all tips and tools that help you on your journey to being able to have a healthier sex life. I would say also, if you want something deeper, you know, working with a trained professional, things like somatic therapy, which is a therapist who works with and invites the body's response to it. It's a therapist who specializes in EMDR therapy, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing technique, which is one of the number one most researched therapies for trauma. I do it myself. I'm a product of it myself. I highly recommend. It's really incredibly powerful. It helps to process rapidly a traumatic experience so that it neutralizes it. It's not so much that you lose the memory, but it helps to neutralize it so you don't have that emotional kick in your body, in your brain anymore. Dance therapy, yoga therapy. Yoga therapy helps you to reconnect that mind and the body disconnection so that you can self-regulate more easily. Um, breath work journeys and breath work practices and, and professionals is, is another way to help you to re-regulate your nervous system, but also to be able to release some of the trauma that's being built up and stored in the body. Um, I am a breathwork facilitator, so I'll lead practices that are, you know, 30 to 40 minutes long and people have very cathartic releases because it, the, the breath causes the body to let go of the stored emotion that's in the body. Really powerful, highly recommend. And say you've done all these things. Say you have come far in your journey 
and you are ready to get back out there and have sex with a partner. Maybe it's your first time, or maybe you've attempted sex with partners and it just, you know, collapses and we just in a heap of tears and pain or whatever it is. And it just, we can't move forward. So to think about, again, we want to move at the po- at the pace and the process of our body. Constantly checking in with the body. Letting the body be right instead of making the body wrong is going to be critical for developing the trust of our body again. Because the moment that we try to move faster than the body or we tell the body that it's wrong, huge betrayal of the body. And it's going to make the process of trusting the body or the body trusting us (laughs) slower. So check in with yourself before you're going to have sex. What do I need to have in place for emotionally safe sex? Identify your edges and your boundaries. You know, a boundary is how much you're willing to give and then no more. What is that hard edge that if you cross that fence, you would be, it would be a detriment to you. It would create more harm in you. You might be quote unquote fine or okay, but it's not, it's not okay. So what is that boundary for you in this moment? Of course, boundaries change and they can be, but what is it right now as you're about to move forward into sex or into this relationship? And an edge is something that you can lean into and may be uncomfortable, but you're still in integrity with yourself. You're still in alignment with yourself with these actions that you're going to take and still being with yourself and not betraying yourself or doing something you don't want to do. Next, I would ask myself, do I need to have clarity around the state of our relationship? If we don't feel certain or solid or secure in the relationship, it becomes a lot more difficult for us to relax into sex. So maybe we need to have some clarifying conversations around where we're at or clarify some maybe disagreements that we've had, some conflicts that we've had first in order for our body to relax and be open to receive pleasure. Third, we want to practice living consent by checking in with ourselves. Does this feel good to me? Does this continue to feel good for me? Did this feel good for me? Because consent changes. It's actually a living thing. We don't give it once and then for the rest of our life, that's it. No. Day by day, moment by moment, consent changes. And so to continue to check in whether this is still in alignment with us, is huge in developing that trust again with ourselves. Sometimes on our journey to healing after trauma, we need to take penetrative sex completely off the table for a bit, for a bit, and explore these other forms of sex that are more touch-focused or energetic-focused. Because when, sometimes penetration can, or the anticipation of penetration can be what causes us to freeze. But if we know that our partner is not going to push us beyond that or to to go that direction, and we've made this 
agreement that it's just going to be this, just going to be play, it's just going to be touch, it's just going to be oral, whatever it is, then we can relax into it and not worry about where is this going. And then we get in our head and we're like, where is this going? Oh my God, I'm not ready for that. Uh, You know, all this stuff. And then we can't enjoy the things that we actually would be okay with. So have these conversations. And then even then, sometimes we need more time to build arousal. So foreplay is absolutely necessary. And I don't mean foreplay just oral. I mean, foreplay is in enjoying and turning on the entire body. Arousal may take time. Every single person is individual to that. So how important it is for us to observe the responses of our body and to allow space to occur. And also spaciousness, (laughs) as in not setting appointments right after our sexy time or not confining our sexy time for to just an hour. Because for some of us, it may take an hour for the body to relax enough to feel open. So clear the schedule, honestly, especially during this time of reconditioning. And then also consider, perhaps you need to be the one to initiate, or maybe perhaps it's better for the other person to initiate. Or are there specific styles in, of initiation that shut us down? And are there more, are there styles that are more accessible or supportive for us in this time? These conversations help our partner help us. And that's exactly what we want, right? In fact, if you are a partner whose partner, <laughs> lover, <laughs> whose lover has experienced trauma, your role here is incredibly important to help them to feel safe as well. So make sure you're checking in with them, asking them how they're feeling. Again, remember, consent is living. So check in with them. Does this continue to still feel good? Did that feel good? Do you want to do this? What does that feel like for you? Get curious. Have empathy, and that's feeling with them. You know, acknowledging what they must be experiencing or asking questions or being present and feeling in your own body. Oh, you must be afraid. You must be feeling guilty or feeling upset or upset with yourself or upset with the situation or hopeless or powerless or whatever it is. Just feeling with them. Not making them wrong, not trying to calm, not say calm down, whatever. That's invalidating. That's so invalidating. But instead, just allowing and accepting. And you can be vulnerable yourself. You know, you can lead the way. You can express to them, you know, what's coming up for you or get curious by asking questions. You know, what does that mean for you? Or what is this like? One tool that I love to invite my um, clients to do beforehand is, you know, go into one thing I love, one thing that I fear, one thing that I desire slash need. And that can help to create a container of safety and vulnerability and feeling held. And then the last one is, is invite playfulness. Invite a pl- be in play mode. 
play allows us to relax into experimentation and not feel like there's, you know, this pressure to perform or be anything other than what we're experiencing. Get to know what types of touch or initiation are receptive to them and what types are turnoffs. <laughs> and ultimately be supportive of the pace of the process. You know, a process of reconditioning and learning trust again requires us to move at that slower pace. Titration, we use the word titration, which means little bits at a time. You know, we've got to move through layers and build one upon the other. We can't just end up at the end point. We can't just jump and skip all of this. It doesn't work like that. And when you can be present to that and allow that and accept that, like, wow, that is powerful medicine. That is true intimacy. Mm. I hope that's answered some of your questions out there. I love getting questions from my followers. And if you have questions about nutrition, sex, relationships, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email or slide into my DMs on Instagram at sexloveyoga. Let me know what you're curious about. What do you want to hear? What do you want to learn? What do you want to know? Because my role here is to help you to eat, play, and sex better, which will improve every aspect of your life. So thank you for tuning in. Remember to subscribe. Remember to share this with your best friend, sister, brother, someone down the hall from you <laughs> who is looking to heal their relationship around sexuality especially after trauma. Because this is absolutely my pleasure to give you every single thing that I can. I'll see you next time on Eat, Play, Sex. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. You can find out more about our guests and topics from our show by checking out eatplaysex.com. Until next time, don't forget to nourish your sex life.